On today's episode of The Corner Booth, Mulraney and I discuss the feud between Spike Lee and James Dolan, the best of the NBA, Tom Brady teasing the Patriots. We also sit down with former Oakland A's draft pick and minor league all-star J.P. Sportman. We have a great interview with him. And we close it out with some MLB news and our reactions from spring training. But first, a word from our sponsors, Novice Clothing. Spring can't come soon enough, and honestly, it'll be here before we know it. That's why I need to tell you guys about Novice Clothing Company. What started as a hobby is now a homegrown business ready to customize your orders. From hoodies to hats to t-shirts and jerseys, whether you're outfitting an entire team or a cheering section, the Bernardo brothers at Novice Clothing Company will handle it. Nick and Garrett both graduated from LaSalle Institute in Troy, New York, before going on to play college baseball, and they're reinvesting back into their community with this local business. Parents, coaches, and booster clubs, you need team apparel? Well, let's support a growing local business. Check them out at NoviceClothingCompany.com and on Instagram at NoviceClothingCompany and get ready to claim your crown. All right, let's roll. everybody episode seven of the corner booth presented by procrastination sports visit the blog and get previous episodes at procrastinationsports.com you can also listen to us on spotify by searching procrastination michael we're here back another wednesday the knicks are in the headlines yet again for being eight games out of the playoffs they find a way to get back in they pretty much Knicks security was ordered to try to send Spike Lee out of the building and make him enter through a new entrance. Spike didn't like that, and he went on first take on Tuesday and pretty much blasted the Knicks and James Dolan. So both of us, lifelong Knicks fans, I give the mic to you. The floor is yours. What a great first 24 hours for Leon Rose, the new president of basketball operations. His first day, he gets the full James Dolan experience. (laughs) The most beloved sports fan for the Knicks. There's a whole 30 for 30 about him talking trash to Reggie Miller. Spike spent a... They did the math on first take. Spike spent about $10 million on Knicks tickets over the last 30 years. And in those 30 years, they've had a winning team 13 times. So in the last... 20 years, they've probably had four winning seasons. Yeah, I was going to say, because that's probably a lot of backloaded type stuff. Like those first few years when he had season tickets starting in 92, from like 92 to 2000, they were good. So right there you have, you know, eight years. And since then, they probably had the Linsanity year, the lockout, and the 55-win team with Rasheed Wallace. Yeah. So it hasn't been good since, and Spike still gives them the money every year, 300 grand. And all he asks in return is that he gets to walk in the employee entrance, and James Dolan is taking that from him. Mm -hmm. I think it's just another example of why the Knicks will never be good, because Dolan doesn't get it. He never has, and he never will. This would be like if the Lakers didn't allow Jack Nicholson to wear his sunglasses inside. (laughs) It just wouldn't make much sense, but this is why Dolan is hated by the fans. First off, what he did to Charles Oakley made him hated beyond belief. The inability to bring in the right people or to not be a weirdo enough that free agents want to sign with us. And now this, 
like Spike Lee is like our unofficial mascot. If the Knicks had a mascot, it would be Spike Lee, the guy that was able to talk trash to Reggie Miller, like you mentioned, the guy that talked trash to Scottie Pippen back in the day, the guy that is always on the floor regardless of how poor this team is. When guys like you and me can't even tune in because it makes us sick how bad they are, Spike's there. $300,000 a year and they don't let him use the personal entrance that he wants. The guy's been a season ticket holder since the 80s. He is a big brand that people know that uh, young basketball players resonate with. Why would the Knicks want to keep him happy? They kick him out, or they try to kick him out. And the video that surfaced, like, why do you even make a point about that? Why can't you just, like what Spike said, pull him aside after the game and be like, hey, from now on, you got to go through this VIP entrance? Yeah. Or this is now such a big deal, and you can tell it came from Dolan, because Dolan walked across the court at halftime to address this with Spike Lee, where Spike's saying that Dolan came over and said that you can't do that anymore. And he was mad at the way that Dolan addressed him, which is preposterous that the owner is even discussing this with a fan. Dolan's worth like $6 billion dollars. Who cares what entrance Spike Lee walks into? But he's that level of like micromanager and this petty Weird. little tyrant yeah. that, he, that he concerns himself with all of the minutia of the Knicks. And that's the thing. I was thinking about that when that story came out today. You make a great point. That seems so CYO high school-ish for the owner to walk across the court at halftime talk to a fan because that's what Spike Lee is as much as Knicks fans love him it would be like if some random rich Wall Street guy gave $300,000 you would never expect the owner to come across and to handle an entrance matter that's up to security or that's up to public relations or that's up to somebody the owner shouldn't be involved in discussing with Spike Lee what entrance he can and can't walk through so then there was some back and forth too with Spike said I gotta I gotta defend Dolan just a little bit here. Spike did say they never shook hands and they weren't laughing. A picture did surface of them shaking hands. Whether or not they were laughing, it didn't appear that way. They but, took that picture from, like, the upper deck. Yeah, that was somebody on, like, their phone, like, <laughs> zooming in on that big time. And then the Knicks. This is why the Knicks are the worst. They release it in the in the press <laughs> release with this grainy, horrible picture of Dolan and Spike shaking hands. Like, a why do you $3 billion care? Dollar company, and it looks like it was taken with a microwave. That's this, this is like when Dolan last season kicked the two young guys, <coughs> two guys our age, out of the garden for saying sell the team. And the Knicks have to release a press release. Like, why are the Knicks concerning themselves with the, with the unhappiness of fans? No other team in the league would be releasing press releases to say, like, oh, we did the right thing here, and here's a horrible, shitty picture to prove it to you. And in the press release, they attached a photo of the entrance that Spike goes in. Literally from Getty <laughs> Images. Like, they Google search. They didn't even go outside and take a picture. They didn't even have the official photographer go outside. They're like, entrance 8, Madison Square Garden. Perfect. Throw that in there, too. With this three-line press release saying how Spike Lee's wrong, James Dolan is right. He's a dictator. People need to realize that. The Of all of the owners in sports that you think are kind of weirdos, like the Jerry Jones, who owns... He's probably the only owner who's a general manager as well, still. Mm -hmm. 
Jerry yeah, Jones doesn't concern himself with where famous Cowboys fans sit. Jerry World has 100,000 seats. The Cowboys and Jerry Jones, who's a weirdo, has never put out a press release about where people sit. Mark Cuban no. gets thrown out of games. He's been fine. He was fined millions of dollars by David Stern. I've never seen the Mavericks put out a statement about where a famous cowboy sat at the game. Can you imagine if Jerry Jones had Michael Irvin dragged out of Jerry World for <laughs> literally having a little bit of a dispute with security like Dolan did to Charles Oakley? And people, I think, who aren't Knicks fans and grew up in the era that we grew up in, even you and I are a little young, but we still appreciate those 90s Knicks teams, people be like, oh, like, Charles Oakley, like... Like, but people don't realize he was the heart and soul of the Knicks for like five years. Yes, Patrick Ewing was the best player. Him and Starks were like notable. But Oakley was like, I compare it to like what Rodman was to the late 90s Bulls. Like that's what Oakley was to Knicks fans. They love him. Yeah. And Dolan messed that up horribly. He's messed up throwing people out of the stadium because they chance sell the team at him. And the season ticket guy who wrote him the letter the one time, and he wrote back and saying, go root for the Nets. We don't want you as a Knicks fan. <laughs> he's the worst. And now he's fighting Spike Lee and releasing press. Can you imagine? The only thing I was thinking about today is, what if they ban Spike from the Garden? The place is going to go up in flames. I was thinking about this today, too, because they threw Oakley out from the first level. He was right. probably like three or four rows from Dolan when he got thrown out. Yeah, they gave Oak a horrible seat when he got thrown out. He wasn't, like, courtside. He was, like, seventh row. Yeah. And it's not past Dolan because he owns the Madison Square Garden as well. Right. That's what he's done with all these other people. He's banned them. Yeah. That, those kids saying, sell the team, banned, can't go to a game. You wonder how much longer they're going to fight through the press. Spike said he's not going to any more games this year. Which, why would you? I mean, that's... No. He said I mean, he's coming back next year, which, sure, we'll give that a shot. But this is but this is the thing. Dolan is so crazy and petty that he might just be like, no, you're never coming back. Yeah, he might refuse to sell Spike his season right. tickets. Exactly. And then Spike will probably chain himself to like a, a nuts-for-nuts vendor card outside the garden <laughs> and have like a sit-in. Which I would go and join, obviously, if Spike's going to have a sit-in on there. He's going to show up dressed with a fake glasses and mustache like Bobby Valentine. Yeah, you can't take Spike. <laughs> it's you can't take the Knicks away from Spike. I mean, other than the other than filmmaking, I think the Knicks are all he cares about. And if you take that away from him, that's but this will be something that Dolan does and be like, well, look, we only want people here that love everything about the Knicks or some BS story that he'll give us. Yeah. Well, nobody likes anything about the Knicks, James, okay? <laughs> they stink out loud. I can't believe they beat the Rockets the other night, by the way. These are games we shouldn't be winning. We need to start losing games. Oh, yeah. It's it's the annual runoff six of the last eight and go from the fourth pick to the 11th pick. That's where say, we're at in the Knicks season. I might be drinking the R.J. Barrett Kool-Aid. <laughs> Just might be doing it. 27 last night. He looked good last night. <laughs> and how about Kevin Knox is starting to see the floor, too? Which is good. Well, yeah. I mean, they drafted him with the fourth overall pick, so you should probably try to get him out there a little bit. Even Frank played. Frank plays great defense. In. 
How about the last? How about the last possession of the game on uh, on uh, Westbrook? Locked them down. Locked them down. After Fisdale got fired, they have the same amount as, of wins as the Brooklyn Nets. Well, after Fisdale got fired, they played immensely better. And honestly, I think for the first time, if the Knicks were smart, and we'll see what this Leon, what's his name, Leon Rose, right? Yeah. What he does. But I think almost like instead of going for the flashy hire like the Knicks have decided to go with or like the notable name like Fisher or any of these guys, why not just why not just keep Mike Miller? Like why not? Like he knows these guys from when they were young playing in the D League or G League, whatever you want to call it now. He's obviously got them playing better than they have in two years. Why not give him a chance? Uh, but the Knicks won't. They'll try to bring in some, unless they want to bring in Patrick Ewing. Because if they want to bring in Patrick Ewing, then I am all in on the circus. Like, if we want to start doing that stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm in. Big pa- time. Patrick might be trying to leave Georgetown. Well, they stink. He's done horrible there. And I love Patrick Ewing. Guy's my favorite player ever. But I think he should just come coach the Knicks. Let's burn it down to the ground together. Everyone in. I mean, they. Uh, I, they're at the point to where it can't be any like anything the Knicks do. It can't be worse. So like you might as well just try anything. And bringing in a legend might bring some morale or something. Yeah. Until they have to fire him in a year and a half, and then he never comes back to the Garden, and then Knicks fans hate Dolan even more. But well, I mean, it, it's interesting to see where you know coaches end up and where Ewing will end up, I guess. But the moral of the story is that. Dolan is the worst, and he just continues to show why he's the worst. Do you want to touch on this briefly? I don't want to really throw this in your face because I love you. I've known you for years now, and I don't want to upset you too much. Oh, but that Dolan's putting together an offer to buy the Mets. Yeah. Which is bad. That's awful because there's no. What we've learned from James Dolan and the Knicks is that no one wants to come play for him. No, nobody. When. The league has a forced floor for salary. In baseball, where there's no forced floor, and you can just spend as much or as little as you want, he's just not going to care. Right. He's not going to spend any money. Well, here's the thing with him, if if he were to buy the Mets. First off, Mets and Knicks fans would probably just give up because he's done so much harm to the Knicks. And the only person that Mets fans would want to see this team not go to after the Wilpons would be James Dolan. Oh, yeah. Legitimately the only person in the world. They would be they would be happier if, like, a random gas station attendant from Wyoming, they were like, we're going to give you the team, have at it. Like, they'd be happier than that than to have James Dolan step in and buy the team. I can't imagine a worse situation for Major League Baseball. Unless Rob Manfred is like, the heat is too high on me right now. What schmuck could I pass this PR blitz on to? James Dolan. Yeah, and let everyone hate him instead of me. It's not a bad idea. I mean, Manfred did it with the playoff thing. He was like, everybody thinks I'm bad at my job. Let me prove it. So they're mad at me for this and not the Astros thing. So yeah. now he could just pass that off to Dole. That would be a disaster for you personally. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Dolan 
has shown no inclination in any level of property proper franchise management. In like three years, Isaiah Thomas would manage the Mets. Oh, 100% Isaiah would be hired. He would be the third base coach the first year. Isaiah and Steve Mills just shaking down Dolan for more money. Steve Mills is like uh, Robert De Niro's ace in Casino. Like they always have to change his job title so the feds don't find out what he's doing. That's what Steve Mills is. Like they just give him a new job title and then he pops back up in five years as the GM and you're like, oh, all right, well, we'll do it again. Where's you you the guy in charge of food contracts? Yeah, weren't you the guy in charge of the concession stand, merchandising? Yeah, but now I'm the GM. That's. It would be great if Isaiah and Steve Mills were in the Mets. I would love that. Isaiah, Isaiah would work, weasel his way onto the Mets coaching staff somehow. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, people think it's a joke. No way it is. That's what Dolan needs, too. He needs to buy SNY, so there's two news stations in New York that yeah, can't, can't say that he sucks at his job. He's going to buy up all the New York uh, media companies, so then they can't say anything bad about it. Let's switch gears quickly before we get to our interview. The whole Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, Jimmy Fallon courtside was over the weekend. We've talked about it briefly, but I don't think he's going back to New England. I have a weird feeling. I feel like if it was if it was if he was going back to New England, there'd be more buzz. The Patriots would be coming out maybe a little bit, saying we're negotiating. Nothing's going on. I think he's going to Tennessee. I think the rest is BS. I don't think any of the other teams that have been speculated, the Giants, the Buccaneers, the Raiders, none of those teams have a chance, in my opinion. It's either the Pats or the Titans. But I think he might be going to Tennessee. Did you see at that Syracuse game where he was there with Jimmy Fallon, Edelman and him were FaceTiming Mike Vrabel? Yeah, I saw that, which is interesting for sure. I don't... I don't know what to make of that. I mean, they're all like in that Patriot cult, but you got to look at the Titans from like a Brady perspective. They're better off at running back. They're better off at receiver. The owner or the GM is a Patriot guy. The head coach is a Patriot guy. Brady and Belichick, regardless of what anyone says, they want to go their separate ways to prove to each other and the rest of the world that they can do it without the other one. That's the way they are, and there's nothing wrong with that. And in addition, maybe Brady for the last two, three years of his career wants a little bit more of a laxed environment, you know? Go to Tennessee where you're going to be loved from the from the get-go. The media is not going to be as hot on your tail there. And you get to play for Vrabel, who just isn't as strict and miserable of a guy as uh, Belichick. It might be a better situation for everybody. What I think is the most appealing to Tom if he's going to learn a new system in his mid-40s, now would be, you don't want to go play for Arians in Tampa Bay because he's an offensive guy. The same way you wouldn't want to go play with Gruden. Their playbooks are massive. It's a whole new language. I'm sure that Vrabel, as somebody who had to finish his career in Kansas City because Belichick got rid of him, knows what it's like to kind of be at the tail end in a different location. I don't think Edelman will go with him or try to force his way out. I think that it makes the most sense for Tennessee because Derrick Henry is also a free agent. You can convince a general manager to overspend for two years at a running back rather than four or five. 
and you say Brady's going to play till he's 45, that's two years, we'll give Derrick Henry the highest paid running back for just two years, and we'll try to work through this Delaney Walker. We have some good wide receiver weapons here, that A.J. Brown kid, and they can build an offense around that in a way that the other teams I don't think can. No, I think you're 100% right. Everything you said, like, makes sense. And I think Tennessee, if you had Tom Brady this year, you're probably playing in the Super Bowl. You probably beat Kansas City. It's not. Uh, this isn't saying New England, I don't want it to come off as New England's not going to be good. New England will go back to the playoffs next year. This might sound crazy, but I personally believe with or without Tom Brady. I believe in that system, and I believe in Belichick enough to he'll get somebody else to the playoffs. Yeah. Um, he won 11 games with Matt Castle. True, which is like turning water into wine. So that's big in of itself. But what? But with Brady in Tennessee, I think offensively the Titans are better off than New England right now. There's nothing you can tell yeah. me that from last year that you could say, well, the Patriots offensively are better in this category. The Titans have an above-average offensive line. To, you and I talked about it when we started this show in the blog. Derrick Henry is a man amongst boys, and he doesn't look like he's slowing down. They got Humphreys to play the slot. They've got a lot of talent there. I think it would be a good situation. Not to mention, the division stinks. He'll win that division easy. Yeah. The, the Colts don't have a quarterback. The Jaguars are a disaster. The Texans are always Never there. Never stay healthy. But yeah. So I, th- I, I think that's a good spot for him. And if we're going to be honest about it, the AFC East is far better right now than the AFC South is. The AFC East has the Bills, who are up and coming with a good defense, a good young quarterback. The Jets are going to be better. And I, and I think the Dolphins have so many picks that it's going to be tough for them to be bad. They're, going to, they're not going to be great, but they'll be better. Yeah. And especially if they can go out and get one of these free agent quarterbacks, a la Teddy Bridgewater or somebody. So yeah. I think it's time to move on, maybe. But... Those are the only two teams. I won't be shocked if he goes back to New England. I won't be shocked if he goes to Tennessee. Anybody else would shock me. All right, let's do our interview. Mike and I sat down with J.P. Sportman. He is a former minor league baseball all-star, former draft pick of the Oakland A's, and he now is running his own baseball development type situation out in Arizona. So he's living the dream out there. Before we get to the interview, I want to give you guys another word about novice clothing. We're all about supporting local businesses on this show. Uh, And we're blown away by Novice Clothing Company and the original authentic work being done for athletes of all ages and teams of all sizes. Based in Albany, the Bernardo brothers have lived through playing in uncomfortable athletic gear, too big, too small, too thick. And in upstate New York, not not thick enough. Novice Clothing Company doesn't outsource for its apparel. They produce it themselves, ensuring the best apparel possible while cutting out the middleman and saving you money. Parents, coaches, and booster clubs do what we do here at Procrastination Sports and on the corner booth and support local business. Get started at noviceclothingcompany.com and on Instagram at noviceclothingcompany and get ready to claim your crown. All right, here's me and Mike interviewing J.P. Sportman. All right, Mulraney and I uh, now welcome on J.P. Sportman, former Central Connecticut star and a 2014 draft pick of the Oakland A's, a three-time minor league all-star and a three-time double-A champion. J.P., thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Anytime. So it's your first season away from playing baseball since you were – I don't know, probably three years old. How are you adjusting to it? You doing okay with it? Yeah, I'm surprisingly doing a lot better than I thought. Um, you know, the injury took a lot out of me uh, in July. 
and you know, just the circumstances just felt, you know, you know, I did everything I could in the game, you know, from a playing standpoint, and uh, you know, it's time for me to, you know, transition to that development part, and uh, you know, I'm excited about it. Wait, hold on. I don't. Are we recording? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Perfect. Nailed it. I just wanted to make sure. This isn't my first time producing this, man. <laughs> um, have you? Uh, what's been the hardest part being away from it? I, I mean, it's. I think it's great that you're adjusting well, but I was. Uh, I was curious as to what's been the toughest part about being away from it. Uh, obviously, I've moved to you know the mecca of baseball pretty much. You know, now the spring training's like full full flow. You know, just seeing all my buddies that I, you know, was fortunate enough to play with, um, you know, but, I mean, I think that's the hardest part, you know, just, you know, I went over to the A's game today just to see one of my clients, and, you know, I got, you know, some of that little FOMO and, like, days of the from, you know, my days with the A's, and, you know, that's probably the hardest part, but, I mean, you know, the transition's been, you know, pretty so far, and um, I'm not having too much of, you know, the regret or anything you know i i was thinking about this today when we found out we were going to have you on you know i consider myself being a student of the game and a decent baseball mind and i do think it's crazy you never got the call to the bigs after the type of minor league career you had so am i crazy or are you surprised by that yourself yeah man i i, I always thought you know every year i progress and you know i continue to get better continue to work on my game um you know, and it was it was crazy. You know, I had I had a little bit of a taste of you know what it's like to be in the big leagues. You know, being able to go to the exhibition series in you know San Fran and, and in Oakland, and you know I, I was surprised. You know, at one point, um, you know I was doing everything you know I needed to do to, to put my name on the map. You know, being a being a late round draft pick. You know, I was a sponge. I did everything I could to you know become you know a big leaguer and. Uh, it definitely surprised me a little bit just the way, you know, everything went down towards the end and especially not being, you know, going through the free agent market at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely some, you know, questions that still resonate in my head a little bit um, as to why, you know, I didn't get an opportunity somewhere else and even an opportunity in Oakland. But, um, you know, that's just the way it goes. Dude. A lot of, you know, great, you know, players don't get to the big leagues and, about that too like for you know guys like Mike and I who are just fans of the game and I don't think necessarily all the times fans are able to look introspectively that this is a business um how wild is it to see some guys that probably shouldn't get a chance to hold on but because they have money invested in them they get longer careers than say a guy like you who was drafted late but probably put up a lot better numbers than certain guys yeah, I mean, anytime you see that, it's tough. But at the end of the day, you know, that's just the way it goes. And, like, you're kind of groomed to that once you get in. Um, it's definitely hard, you know, to deal with um, at times. Definitely when I was playing more than now. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things that you just kind of have to deal with. Because, you know, when you get picked in that, you know, upper echelon of the draft, like, you're going to get opportunities, you know, and, and 
you know, the only time it frustrated me was when, obviously, we talked about when you see guys who, you know, didn't live up to their potential and, and what they saw, but they continued to just get bumped up and bumped up just because of how much money they got. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you can't, you know, if I'm speaking to, you know, minor leaguers and stuff right now, whoever happens to listen, you can't, you can't think about that stuff because it's going to happen regardless and you have no control over it. Um, and that's, I think that's one of the biggest things I learned, you know, moving up the, the system was you got to control what you can control, you know, it's, and not worry about the outside stuff because that'll swallow you. Hey, JP, I saw that this past year you played for the York Revolution and I'm a former Atlantic League guy myself. I was a bat boy for the now defunct Camden River Sharks and... So I know that that league is a good time. Uh, I was just wondering what your favorite part of being uh, in that league and being part of that experience was this past year. Dude, I had a blast, honestly. Um, it, it was kind of awesome just to pull back from, you know, worrying about the business side of everything and, you know, trying to, you know, go level to level. Uh, you know, when's your call-up coming, all that kind of stuff. There was... You know, it's the first time that I was able to pull back and just go out there and have fun, you know, and um, I think it's just because I'm getting older now, like, maybe that's how I should have played when I was going through, you know, the minor leagues, which, you know, obviously you put added pressure on yourselves, but, you know, being in the clubhouse, um, we had a bunch of veteran big league guys, uh, everybody was cool, stadium was nice, dude, the travel wasn't bad, and... You know, if you guys know anything about Midland, Texas, I mean, that's the worst travel you can get in the minor leagues. And, <laughs> it was the first time being close to home, too. Um, but I, I enjoyed being there, dude, big time. And, you know, I think, obviously, I was playing well before the injuries and stuff, so that made it, you know, a little icing on the cake there. But, um, yeah, dude, I, I, I really enjoyed my time there. So now you're transitioning, which I think is awesome for you because I think you're going to be great at it. But you now have JP3 Baseball. You're developing young players, but you're also working uh, with clients like, you know, the big-time names that we see, Matt Chapman, Garrett Stubbs, Cody Bellinger. What's it been like balancing that out with, you know, big league guys, some that you're, you're, you're friends with that you used to play with, but also giving the instruction to these young kids coming up in Arizona? You know, man, it's, it's, it's so much fun working with those guys just because, you know, as much as, as much as I'm chiming in with stuff I see, I'm also learning from them, too. Like, they're doing it at the biggest stage, and it's so fun to watch, and especially when, like, you know, you create a relationship with these guys, and they trust you, and, and you can have conversations about, you know, how, how to continue to keep getting better, right? And, you know, those guys are, are pretty, pretty damn good. And, you know, they're looking for, you know, that extra edge to just keep getting better. And I think, you know, being able to sit there and, and really bounce ideas off of each other and stuff has really molded me into, you know, transitioning into the younger guys. Like, you know, also I was a sponge in the minor leagues. Like, I was a, I was a late ground draft pick, so I did anything I could to, you know, take my game to the next level to, you know, be that, you know, late round draft pick that, you know, kind of skyrockets through the system. And, you know, being able to take everything that I learned in pro ball, I, I feel like high school guys and younger guys lack, you know, the knowledge of that stuff because nobody, you know, kind of takes that away and, and uses 
it as like a development tool. And, you know, it's just good for me to, you know, transition into that and just, you know, give these big time high school guys and, and guys that are, you know, trying to get to the next level, you know, exactly what, you know, I did in the minor leagues to, you know, bring it to them. And, and, and it's the stuff that those guys are doing, you know. So, like, those guys see that I'm working with those guys. And, you know, we're in the cage together. They know that, you know, what I'm teaching them is what, you know, I'm learning from, you know, the big league guys and, you know, what we're working on there. What's the biggest misconception you see with young kids when they come for a hitting lesson or, or when you're working with them? What's the one thing that stands out to you that kids are being taught at a young age that just isn't correct? try to be somebody that they're not. Uh, I think guys, you know, try to mimic, you know, people they see on TV and stuff. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of learning how to become their own player, like understanding who they are as a player, who they are as a hitter, you know, what are their strengths and stuff. You know, um, I think that's the biggest thing mentally for the younger guys. Um, And, you know, I mean, a lot of the analytical things are taken into, you know, a different realm a little bit. Like, they all see that, like, in the big leagues and, and in pro ball and in college, you know, everything's going towards, you know, the analytical part of the game, which, yeah, that stuff's good if you understand how to do it, you know. And I think guys that have a misconception on, you know, what you're supposed to do with your swing, what you're supposed to do defensively, like, you know, I don't think people really understand, you know, how to do things like that and, and to become, a, you know, the guy with a good launch angle and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, just being able to, you know, like that's why I'm in this because I want to be able to teach these guys how to do it and, you know, how to actually understand, you know, the right swing, the right path, the right direction, whatever it is that creates, you know, the good launch angle and stuff. It's not, you know making drastic mechanical, you know, adjustments to where, you know, some coaches out there are kind of just like, you know, feeding a bunch of crap to some guys, you know? Yeah, for sure. I've seen, it's like when I see like uh, kids in fifth, like the kids I'm around now, like 14, 15 year old, and they get in the box and they're hitting like Albert Pujols' like batting stance and they're like, well, I saw it online and it's like, well, Albert Pujols is a freak of nature. You probably shouldn't be mimicking what Albert Pujols does. But, uh, yeah. I sent you a text when your playing days kind of came to an end, and I told you that just from my coaching experience, I felt like you would be a phenomenal coach and instructor. So more more specifically with the coaching stuff that you're doing, aside from the instruction, how are you feeling in your new role being a coach? And um, do you have any you know, coaching guys that you look up to or coaching role models that you've taken some stuff from and have implemented in your own coaching career now? Separates guys, you know, like it's 
and, you know, get on the field and, and, and play games. But I'm more into, you know, getting in the weight room, like seeing guys grind after it, you know, you know, working off each other, um, you know, getting in the cage, doing all that stuff, you know, the behind the scenes work that translates to the field. Um, you know, that's, that was kind of hard for me, you know, being on the field, you know, as I went through this, the club program I'm with, um, it just, it was tough for me um, to be on the field because it's, it's, it's totally different than playing, man, you know. Right. Um, so that, I think that was the biggest, um, you know, adjustment for me big time. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did it because now I understand, you know, what I want to do and what I'm good at, you know. Right, yeah, no, and I think that says a lot, like, for you able to recognize that. And I think it also speaks to the fact that you – that you know so much about hitting, about the conditioning that goes into to playing and being successful. Like for me, uh, I'm not great at that, and I recognize that. I love being on the field like an in-game manager. So when I move to Arizona, that's why we're going to make such a good team. So that'll be good. Of that, <laughs> but yeah, like I don't know if it was just instilled in me because, like, you know, I was always an underdog, dude. I never, I never had like big-time college, you know, recruiting. You know, I was an undersized kid. Right. Um, you know, and Coach Hall at Central and Coach Hickey, you know, they they kind of took a gamble on me. And, you know, it, that work ethic that I had moving forward once I got to college and, you know, how hard I worked in the weight room on the field, you know, the, the time I put in to just hone in on my craft, I think that kind of instilled into me, you know, why I'm good at, you know, the development side of it. Because I know what it takes to get to that level because I did it personally, right. you know? If you were on the Houston Astros right now, how would you handle going uh-huh. into this season? What would your mindset be? That's a tough question, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I threw out a tweet last night. Um, I, I don't understand, you know, why people are getting so excited over, you know, guys getting hit by pitches and stuff. Um, I think those guys are amazing baseball players, right? They made a mistake. Right. Uh, you know, they knew what they were doing. Um, they knew it was wrong, no matter where it came from. Um, and I think they just need to, you know, go into the, into the season and, you know, prove themselves again, you know. Um, I think it's going to be a tough year for those guys. Um, it's just, I understand where, you know, Belly's coming and, and from and the Dodgers and stuff. Um, I just think it it's just such a very controversial, um, you know, conversation to have because you know, I have a lot of friends that are, you know, a part of the Astros organization. But at the end of the day, I'm also a baseball player. And, you know, I don't, I don't stand for any of that. Um, you know, and it, yeah. and it sucks from a minor league standpoint, you know, like taking away jobs from guys and stuff. But, you know, hopefully they learn from it and, you know, they continue to, you know, do what they have to do with from a media standpoint. And, uh, you know, just going out and play and, and, and try to, you know, mask that and come out and still perform, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, Mike and I and Bazil had a baseball podcast a couple weeks ago, and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all three of us still picked the Astros to win that division. That's the thing. Like, this team is still very good, so they oh, yeah. have an opportunity to go out there and shut everybody up just by winning without this, which they have the talent to do. That's, that's 
to me, that was the craziest part about it. It's almost like when you think back on like a guy like Bonds, who didn't have to take steroids to be great. It's the same thing. The Astros are loaded with talent. They didn't really need to do this in order to be successful. Yep. But yeah. it'll be interesting. Yeah, it's, it, you can see it from so many different points, dude. Like, you know, imagine somebody in the front office coming up to you saying, hey, you want to know what's coming? Like, you want to, you know what I mean? Like, your first instinct's oh, like, yeah, yeah I want to know what's coming. But, um, you know, obviously it got to a point where, you know, I don't know all the details. You yeah. know. I don't think anybody does, really. I think yeah. even the people inside baseball don't really know all the details. But uh, who's a guy that baseball fans should have their eye on before this season starts? Maybe somebody that, you know, big league fans like Mike and I don't necessarily know about, but somebody you've seen out there in the Arizona leagues or in spring training, a young guy that's coming up. Who's the guy to watch out for? Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, the Red Sox. Um I got a pleasure of working with him quite a bit this offseason. And, uh, you know, I think taking his swing and his game to the next level, and I think he's going to make a major splash in the big leagues this year. You know, whenever his, his time comes, whether it's out of camp or, you know, whenever the Red Sox decide to, you know, start his clock and whatnot. Um, but I do think he's going to be, you know, somebody to watch here moving forward. All right, man, before I let you go, I just want to say I think for any guys that are working with you, any minor league guys, college guys, high school guys, you are an example of what they should try to model themselves after, hard work. Uh, if you are, like you said, undersized or not recruited, don't get discouraged, put in the work. Um, you know, the things you were able to accomplish at the minor league level, all the all-star appearances, the championships, uh, and um, now doing what you're doing, man, I, you know, uh, I'm very happy for you. And, uh, you know, for those of you that don't know, you know, me and JP have known each other for a long time. He was at my wedding. Um, we still keep in touch every so often. And um, I couldn't be happier for you, man. So keep doing what you're doing. But before I let you go, uh, I do want to mention to everybody, everybody go check out jp3baseball.com and on Instagram at jp3.baseball. You can check out a bunch of great videos there. There's instructional type stuff on the Instagram. Uh, you can get lesson pricing and a bunch of gear uh, on the JP3 website. So, again, that's jp3baseball.com and jp3.baseball at Instagram. JP, thanks so much, man. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, hopefully we can have you on again soon. Absolutely, dude. Anytime. Um, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, thanks, man. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that interview with JP. To close out our show, we just want to do a little bit of baseball talk, Mike. So sad when all the Yankees are going down with injuries. Just hate to see it. You've got uh, the two big middle-of-the-lineup guys, Stanton and Aaron Judge. They're both saying that they're not going to be available opening day. Right. That is a huge look. You don't want to overreact to this because the season's 162 games long. So even if they miss the first couple weeks of the season, I don't think it really affects the Yankees a lot in the long run. What I would be concerned about if I was a, if I was a Yankee fan is that this is slowly becoming a recurring theme, that the Yankees star players are getting injured. And eventually, you know, the injury prone turns into, wow, that guy's career got wasted a little bit because of injury. And, I, and obviously at the beginning you're joking. You don't want to see anybody ever get hurt, even if it is a Yankee, uh, especially a guy like Judge, who is like polarizing and people want to watch. But for Yankee fans, it's got to be concerning that your guys are hurt before the season even starts. 
these are if you start to view these injuries the way you would view say like a basketball player's career because these are big guys right you start to wonder are their bodies breaking down in a way that we don't typically see regular baseball players bodies break down where judge and Stanton Stanton is looks like a bodybuilder and judge is six 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 seven you yeah. start to wonder is there something in their off-season routines that they're not that they're getting too big like Noah Syndergaard got two years ago or are they are they not training in a way that's conducive to major league baseball well, the Yankees did hire a new strength and conditioning guy this offseason, I think, to combat some of the stuff that they were dealing with. And this is not a good start. But I think it's tough to put the blame on that guy because he hasn't had a full offseason with these guys. I think he got hired mid-offseason. But for him to come in here, that's a lot of pressure on him to be like, oh, you know, you're the strength and conditioning guy and your guys are getting hurt. It's probably not the greatest feeling when you're working for an organization like the Yankees who aren't going wait to wait around, especially in this championship now mode that the Yankees are in. Uh, but on top of that, we didn't even talk about Severino. He's out for the whole year, and they say he might not be back for like 18 months. Like it's going to be a long time until we see him pitch again. It's the Tommy John surgery thing is very interesting to me because we've seen these other formerly major surgeries, like an ACL tear, where guys come back in six, seven months now. But for Tommy John, it seems that we're actually taking longer for pitchers to recover from that. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. You're right. Where before Tommy John used to be a year, now we're talking Severino out until the All-Star break next year, almost a full year and a half. It it seems that the medical science just hasn't caught up to Tommy John's in a way that caught up other places. Severino, as soon as you see the press release, Dr. James Andrews, you kind of know it's a wrap. Yeah, and I don't think his career is – look, he's good. He's very good, but he is a guy that's been injured before. And when you see another injury pop up like this, when you're expecting a lot of them, he's not going to be right. I mean, he's, he's, he's gone this entire year, and you might as well check off next year too. He's not going to be the same coming back next year in the middle of August. He's probably not going to pitch for two seasons. Yeah. This is the first time to get Tommy John surgery because you missed two full years pretty much. Yeah. And the Yankees are talking about potentially trading some prospects to the Mets for Steven Matz, which I find interesting because the Yankees and Mets rarely ever do trades because the Mets don't like to feel like little brother and giving up a player. Yeah. Could be interesting though. What are your thoughts on that? Would you like to see Matz go if the Mets can get like real prospects out of this deal? I'm not a fan of giving up on Matz. I I recognize that they're looking to make some moves because they brought in Waka and they brought in Porcello, but I would much rather them keep Matz as a steady fourth starter than give him up and then have potentially four or five more Porcello starts this year. Because I really don't think the Mets should abandon all hope. I know that division's tough, but I love yeah. the Mets rotation. Like, yeah, Purcello is what he is, but as a number five starter, you got to look around the league and find me a better fit starter than the Mets have with Porcello. There's maybe two or three teams that I can think of that have a better fit starter, if that. Yeah. Um, the Dodgers rotation's very deep now that they got Price. 
But other than that, the Mets, the Nationals have a deep rotation, but the Mets are right there with yeah. one of the best rotations in all of baseball, and you've got the best pitcher in baseball at the top of that rotation in DeGrom. So I don't think they should give up hope just yet. I'd go into the season with what they have, and hopefully you get guys to bounce back and score some runs. Like, you need Cano to be what the Mariners thought he was going to be, and they need guys, you know, they need to have another big year from Alonzo and that, that type of stuff. But the Mets shouldn't give up just yet. I think that team's good enough to make a playoff run. So it'll be interesting to see what the Yankees do there. Let's see what else we got. Anything else here? Anything else you want to touch on? Vladimir Guerrero Jr. destroyed a baseball yeah, yesterday. That line that. drive home run got out in about 12 seconds. He's going to have a really big year. You've been on that team since we did our preview show. You were talking up the Blue Jays, and I think you're right about them. I think you were ahead of the curve on that. I think they're going to be better than people give them credit for. Also, Chris Davis is just mashing home runs. He's hitting 800 this spring. Chris Sale is getting an MRI, and he's seeing Dr. James Andrews. Not good. Which is not good for the Red Sox. Spring training has become more of a hold-your-breath type of situation than anything. Like As you grow up and get older, I think like at when you're a kid, you don't really process the injuries. But now I just watch spring training and hope that the Dodgers don't get hurt. That's all I hope for. Like yeah. last year or the year before, I forget when it was, when Turner broke his wrist in spring training. You're just like, shit, that's a horrible start to the season. Yeah. The other big highlights, the Astros have already been hit seven times. Crazy. That uh, some of them look like they're pretty intentional. We haven't seen any suspensions or anything brought down just yet. I don't know how Manfred would suspend some of these guys. The pitchers that are hitting the Astros have numbers in like the 70s and 80s. They're your consummate spring training double-A guys. So I don't even know if he can suspend those guys. I don't know how that works. So, But honestly, you can't suspend them for hitting them with curveballs. And I was thinking maybe that's what pitchers are going to do all year. Like it's not going to hurt and be like – it's just going to become annoying. Like you're just going to get – drilled with like 78 mile an hour curveballs all year long and then and then you can't get suspended because it'll just be like oh curveball got away from me you can't you can't really show like intent with a curveball hitting you in the elbow yeah but it'll just become annoying and they've been getting booed mercilessly everywhere they've gone oh yeah yeah i saw that with like the the guy like in their dugout pretty much like right on the rail in the rain uh, delay yeah yelling into the dugout and then that hard open assistant coach pitching coach whatever he was like chiming up with like oh as long as you keep paying us like all right buddy like (laughs) nobody needs to hear from you yeah but yeah maybe it'll just be death by a thousand paper cuts and you just get hit with change-ups and curveballs all year long the over under at the mgm was 82 and a half hit by pitches that's a lot but at this but at this rate it'll be over by the all-star break i mean i know this doesn't count spring training but if they were going at this rate is when the regular season starts we're looking at and over becoming over pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. That's, I think, all we had. You got anything else, Mike, before we let the audience peace out? Set it all. All right, so we will be back next week. Check us out on the blog. Don't forget there, procrastinationsports.com. You can also download this podcast along with our other podcasts coming in hot on Spotify. You can go to the Procrastination search there and find it there. Mike and I will be back. We are cruising along. Episode 8 will be coming up next week. We appreciate everybody listening, and we'll be back with another edition of The Corner Booth next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.